0: Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. I am triple excited. I don't think I've ever said triple before. I am known for saying I'm so excited, but it's because I really am, because it's my podcast and I only invite people on that I like. Our guest today is Lisa Donovan, who has written just probably the best woman chef memoir out there, and I can say that because I've read them all. So Lisa, thank you for joining us. I'm so happy to be here
1: and I'm so glad to finally somehow even virtually just meet you. I've heard so many good things about
0: you. That's I'm surprised and that's lovely. <laughs> no, I know I have to tell you Lisa, I I think I read, I'm not sure it was in one of the a magazine. I read about your book. I ordered it from Amazon. Then I went on Facebook and said to My network, I said, Who knows Lisa Donovan? And Tammy Cook was one of the first people. She said, Oh, I know her. And I said, Okay. And then I went to your website, and several other people said, Denise, you can go to your website. There's an email there. And (laughs) again, that's when I said, Oh, I'm so surprised. Thank you so much. That's how I chased you down. And I had tried to reach your publicist, and then you put it all together. So thank you so much.
1: Oh, I'm so happy. And I think Ken Foster. Uh, also had something to do with it as well, I feel like, so I'm glad that we got, we got. We got it together It's
0: perfect. I could relate to your memoir so much, and it also kind of made me sad and the reason is I went to culinary school in nineteen eighty four Wow Wow. <laughs> there were only five women in the three hundred of us graduating. Mm-hmm. Ten women had started. there were five by the time we got. Grad- And you know what, Lisa, what was hard, I was stupid. You know, really, ignorance is bliss. People have these stories of, you know, their burning passion and stuff like that. I love to cook. I grew up in San Francisco. And I often say, and I lived in Marin, and I was making too much money and wore lovely clothes. (laughs) So, obviously... I I thought I'll go to culinary school, but the reason I say what I, I was ignorant about, having never worked in a restaurant, mm-hmm. I was believing the hype. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. The, yeah. the beautiful in my day, the French chef in the press jacket sure. and, and ooh and we'll be making oh, and we'll be glam- making Bordelais oh, and hollandaise yeah. all day. Okay, yeah. everyone thinks it's so glamorous, right? Oui, oui. <laughs> and then. So I got through school, which was not easy, meaning that it was not easy. I love the food and stuff, but I thought, man, who are these guys telling me what to do yeah, all the time? But, you know, so that was place the, to end, I understood that. really heart. got rolling there. Mm-hmm. So I was- also worked in one or two restaurants and thought, this sucks, okay, because of the money, Lisa, because yeah. of the money. Yeah. So meaning uh, that I thought, no, I can send you somebody's a like making a lot of money. You know, the, <laughs> the bar, my guy, okay, you and make and $500 it. off a bottle of booze. How could? Yeah. Why, are every, why are we not making any money that right. work in the kitchen? So that's when I read your memoir, I thought to myself, how many years have passed? And it's still not any better. Yeah. And this was of course I know. And now with the pandemic, mm-hmm. I don't want all these people's businesses to that have worked so terribly hard to fail, but you know what? It's time to restructure the restaurant business. Well, there's an opportunity here for sure. Yes. You know, I you know I, I had this really great
1: opportunity to speak to a bunch of young women who are going, they're actually high school aged young women who are studying the culinary arts. And I think to go to uh, study more like management and, and uh, how restaurants get run, but also sort of the chef side of everything, and they, you know, they feel really hopeless in this moment. I think, you know, it's such a scary moment to be entering the space. And I, I really tried to turn it around on them and let them know, like, this is actually the moment. You get to define how this looks. And if I can beseech you to do anything, it's to pay holy attention Like entire, try to put as much focus as you can on the conversations that your elders, and I am now an elder, like the elders who came before you in this restaurant industry, what we're saying now, pay attention to what we're saying now, because you have an opportunity now to restructure this the best way you possibly can from the beginning. You don't have to, uh, you know, I I think the hardest part for all of us is that we were trying to rebuild the plane as it was flying. And now the, the plane has been grounded, right? So, <laughs> so like you can sit there and actually rework the entire engine. And so it's an exciting moment in that way. It's heartbreaking and devastating to know that over the next, you know, this is just the beginning. This is, we're just seeing the beginning of a lot of really important places. And when I say important, I mean the places that have been dedicated to trying. To um, do right by their employees for a significant amount of time, and it's a, it's a. Terrib- terribly uphill battle, like it's a really difficult uphill battle to, to try to make these margins work in this climate and in this economy, you know, and and, and 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 then that becomes a conversation about, you know, the ways in which our government doesn't actually help small businesses the way that they pretend to. Um, it's a conversation about the, the disaster of our health care in our nation. It's a, it's a conversation about so many things that infrastructurally are wrong with our country Um, restaurants can't be wholly responsible for changing these things. And so I think once we begin to have conversations about the ways in which restaurants are markedly fucked up and don't take care of their people, we have to start having conversations about why. And that, that, that becomes a bigger conversation about healthcare and the way we value family, uh, you know, families in this country. Um, I think it becomes a much bigger, broader conversation about, you know, when I go and look at, I have friends who have restaurants in Paris and uh, in Sydney, Australia and in New, New Zealand and in Copenhagen, and they are able to do things in their restaurant simply because they live in economies and governments and political structures that value and take care of their um, their cultures better than we do, their communities better than, than we do. So... You know, there's a, it's a big conversation and it's, I think, yes, it's a very hard moment for restaurants right now in particular, but I, I think restaurants are always the canary in the coal mine, you know, because it is, uh, it, it's, we are boots on the ground people. We are definitely the, the, you know, the middle class that has also this sort of cachet of being attached to a, a bigger um um you know more pop culture um celebrity culture um that affords us an opportunity to say look this doesn't work like look at how broken this is so yeah incredible incredible moment right now um hard devastating moment but i think one that's gonna you
0: know could potentially yield some really beautiful change i hope i hope so too and everything you said lisa here what so i got out of school decided I could not stay in San Francisco where I was born and bred and lived, but also I was uh, 33 years old, and I thought I need, because my, this is, Lisa, is an example, I never lived in a property Mm
1: -hmm.
0: in Marin County or San Francisco that my family didn't own.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, it just, that's how we were, that's who we were. I'm, uh, so my father did it to protect us and also to control us. <laughs> oh wow! Oh wow! Let's be honest with that. I loved him. Uh-huh. Okay, that's a whole. You know, uh-huh. I just discussed all that with my therapist. We don't need to bore <laughs> you with that now. But I'm just saying. So I ran away from home. Okay, mm-hmm. at like 33 years old, moved to Los Angeles. Also, San Francisco was already overrun with people that had just graduated from school, uh, Mm -hmm. from culinary school. So I moved to L.A., totally different world, loved it, and got a job because I worked in one or two restaurants. And really, Lisa, my gut, I just kept thinking I worked in a pantry of one place, and it was so awful. And and I worked in the. Fancy, fancy restaurant in Malibu in the, in the morning, I'd have to beat the cages with the broom to get the rats away, do you know what I mean? It was, it was right on the ocean, and, and I would say to people, I, I would just say to the the owner, who of course drove, uh, you know, like a Bentley or something. I'd say, you know, you need a we need. I was pro- I'm sure they hated my guts. I was like this kid out of school. I said, we need to have the road. We need an exterminator. <laughs> and the guy likes to yes, yes, saucy little bitch. And anyway, <laughs> so we went into catering, Lisa, because I got a job in a great catering company and they were on yachts and it was beautiful. Do you know what I mean? I love the water, the, and they were celebrities. So they had the money for good food. Do you see what I'm saying? Instead of the Ritz cracker and cheese, they would actually pay for some beautiful food. Mm -hmm. Well, the executive chef had a cocaine, serious cocaine problem. I knew he would fall apart before the holidays and he did and I got his job and the only reason I got the job was because I was very organized it's not that I was the greatest shepherding but I've always been very organized that's so, half of the, that's half of the struggle there you know, right I was a nursery school teacher so yeah. before I went to culinary school too so I knew you know kitchens are really to me the fun one of the funnest places in the world you know what I mean with all the And one of your quotes that I'm going to read later. But to make long story short, so I'm trying to tell you. So I got the job. I negotiated, never a problem with that. Negotiated a salary, got this. I had benefits. But of course, nobody else in the kitchen did. Right. I was the white girl. I got it, but not the boys. All these 11 men that work like dogs for me. And so when I was reading your book, when you decided that you, when you asked for a raise, and I want you to tell that story. But what happened is, I started using as the holidays were coming. So now we're going to have 60 parties in 30 days. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so on November 1st, that was the day I said, you know, everybody in the kitchen needs a raise. All the boys need a raise. And the general manager said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 oh, no, we can't pay 50 cents more, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then when his partner, the silent partner in our catering company, drove up in his new silver cloud Rolls Royce that probably cost $280,000, they had stolen the money from the stock market. I mean, it's so shocking who these guys were. That when I was asking for a dollar more for each of the boys in my kitchen, I mean, you, you would have thought I'd stab them, Lisa. And that's when I thought, mm-hmm. this is just fucked up. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah. I worked with them for several years. I did the best I could. All those boys got raises. They, you know, they got. Uh, we contributed. We gave them, I think, hundred dollars a month in those times to their health care or something. But it was an uphill battle. It was an yeah. uphill battle. Yeah, I mean, and that even sounds
1: really progressive. I mean, that this was the 80s. You say, I mean, that's the, all of those things were are progressive for for now for today. <laughs> you know. <laughs> which is so shocking. But, you know, I, I think that there is, there has become a conversation for me that feels a little bit more bifurcated now. Um, which is that I see, you know, most of, I have so many friends and people that I would consider family in the restaurant industry who are really, really, if they could do more, they would. And then there are these, you know, there are people, the, the, the other side of this industry are people that, um, really sort of abuse the, the, the power that they have and the, and the power and the money that they have. And I think for me, it started to become, um, you know, it started to become really transparent uh, and frustrating. And, you know, I was having to sort of grapple for these raises from either either myself or my staff and um you know with this real distinct realization that a pr company was being paid uh through the nose every month to make us to make us more popular and i'm thinking the whole time if you would actually just fucking pay your cooks a living wage and and give us a sustainable kind of lifestyle we would work so much harder and so much better for you if i knew where to take my at the time 10 year old daughter after school. So I could come back here and then do a night shift. Like if there were ways that you cared about your employees uh, that you could take that 10 grand a month that you're paying, you know, a a PR company to make us famous instead of good, uh, you know that might be, that might solve all your problems. And there's a whole lot of that, that, that was going on in the restaurant industry. Um, in order to sort of create an empire out of something versus a good community driven, you know, uh, restaurant group, you can have that. There, those exist, restaurant groups that um, really focus on the people in their community and really do their best by the opportunities that their investors give them. Um, but, you know, I just found myself in one that wasn't that. You know, and and uh, and and I became wholly aware of how the large percentage of the restaurant industry um, that. Uh, that is more like that restaurant group than the other restaurant groups or individual chef owner restaurants. And, and that, that's where the disparity becomes uh, that's where, that's where the expanse happens, right? Like all of a sudden you have these people who are playing this game with restaurants and it makes it markedly more difficult for the restaurants who cannot keep up in the, the market they're creating. So not only is it sort of that bigger, broader conversation of who we are as a country, but it's also sort of the top dogs creating an infrastructure that make it impossible for the little guy to survive within. So that that became a real source of push-pull frustration for me. Um, and if I, you know, I think I've made, I've been really wanting, especially in this moment, to make a great effort to explain who my aim is at when I talk about this, because it's so... Uh, they have also created in as much as they've created strife and hardship for individuals who work within these companies, they've also created strife and hardship and impossible, impossible measures to meet with these smaller independent restaurants. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's intense. And there's uh, again, though, I, I really, I really go back to sort of the original thing we were talking about, which is this is an incredible moment, I yeah. think for us. Well, I love in your book,
0: I loved your book because you talk about your childhood. Mm-hmm. You t- which makes a big difference in our lives you know what I mean I don't think when you're younger you realize all the things that people say to you and of course one of the things you touched on Lisa also is it's my generation definitely and I, again when I read from you read your book see when I was a little girl we were supposed to be nice oh be. He didn't Be nice, Denise. Oh, don't raise your voice. Oh, don't swear. Oh, Denise, you don't mean that. Well, you know what? I did mean that. <laughs> when I was a little girl, it didn't yeah, take
1: me
0: to figure out that I wasn't all sugar and spice. Do you know what I mean? Matter of fact, mm. I, I was like the meanest, I was meaner than most of the boys on my block. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I had a shy, and I still do, a shy, shy sister who would come home with tears in her eyes and I'd go out there and kick somebody's ass, you know, never do it. <laughs> that wasn't appropriate behavior. Yeah. It still doesn't dawn on me. So when, you know, we all have this, but standing up for ourselves, you're very gracious when you talk about your relationship of working at Husk and that mm-hmm. Sean Brock gave you a voice, do you know what I mean? Me, putting you in charge. I did. It was just so funny. It just so happens I've never watched Chef's Table, and last night I turned it on on Netflix, and there he was. And the whole time I thought about, I thought, "Oh, that was intense." You know what I mean? yeah. That had to be intense. Um, pressure <laughs> co- pressure cooker of work. But so what? So when you realized that you were going to quit Husk, mm-hmm. that you had already started your writing career. I mean, I know you've been you've been writing and you had articles. What made you be able to say, I'm gonna write a book, a memoir of this time in my, from the beginning of my life and until right now? What made you, what turned, what, what were you able to do to, to say, I can do this? Um, I think
1: I have been wanting for some time to really uh, be, I, I've really, I was given an opportunity to write this memoir, and I um, I know that I was given this opportunity because I have created some amount of success in the food industry, yes, and yes. Um, I I kind of used it to pivot, make a hard hard turn towards having a bigger conversation about uh, about women. I yes. think I think what I really wanted was to 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 use the space I was being given to finally have some conversations that aren't necessarily uh revolutionary i think women talk about these things with each other i think that we've had all had these uh instances where we have had self um realizations and self-empowerment and and we are you know, we're in the 21st century now. This isn't 1970. We aren't all sort of discovering that we get to go have a career. It's not, but, <laughs> but I think this, is, this was a real moment for me to be able to take up space on a page to explore the ways in which women do that with, for, and, and, and kind of around each other and the ways in which we're all tethered in, yeah. in, in our work even whenever we're out here on our own and I think for me the exploration was far more about that the conversations and the experiences that women have in these spaces than it ever was about me just sort of as an individual and I think every time I was trying to explore a time and a place it was it was either an inward exploration of me trying to sort of figure out how I had to pivot because because, uh, because frankly, of, uh, you know, misogyny and, and because of the way that the world is built against women and against people of color and the ways in which we are built, you know, it is built for us to fail. And so I wanted to explore the ways in which I had to maneuver so many things that weren't even, um, you know, in some cases, could have been seen from another perspective as a kindness, but to me, I saw it as... Uh, I had to I had to pivot. I had to change course. I had to change the shape of how my life looked because of something that existed there that wasn't of my making, um, of an expectation or an opinion or a, a perceived um, um, intention. And so I, I think for me, I really was trying to have a bigger conversation about the ways in which women, move around the space and um and i saw that the way i could do it best was through this conversation of being a cook in the kitchen you know i had successes i had opportunities i made my choices there was a series of decisions in my life that afforded me um both successes and failures and so and i am and i'm just never one to blame or indict anyone for anything in my life that may have gone wrong or right. I like to take credit for both. And so I'm very careful in this book to not necessarily say you did this to me, but versus what I really wanted to show was just the nature of things um, and the way that women respond or have to respond or sometimes get it right and sometimes get it wrong. And so, and also the ways it brings those women who are doing that work together. So that w- that to me was the bigger heart of this book, was trying to talk about the ways in which um, women and all of their sort of independent, you know, efforts and um, attempts to build lives for themselves end up kind of coming together in this really beautiful way. Um, and so, yeah, like that's sort of why I was ready to do it because I wanted to start exploring culturally um, who women are for each other and who we are for ourselves. So, you know, I, I felt like there were some details there that had to be
0: included from the kitchen spaces um, that I, I was happy to I, When I read it, and I read it like, in a, I just took two afternoons and I thought, oh, I'm going to go back to Lisa Donovan's book. I read it as a book of a woman who explored herself. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? In every sense of this, you, all of a sudden, you realized that you had, to, and I think that what you were saying, not blaming other people is true. When you take responsibility for yourself, mm-hmm. you have to know who you are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that creates boundaries right. and limits. Right. And so you fail. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've always been a decision maker, Lisa, because I didn't want to have to blame other. I'd say it's my decision. Do you know what I mean? And then when it was, by the way, a total, total, <laughs> I would say, yeah, you might want to rethink that one for next time. Yeah. But what you And what you just touched on and what is... See, I think, and this is why in kitchens, which is still so, so, I used to say to my girlfriends when we were, the, <laughs> the ones of us that lasted, I'd say, and which is what I did eventually, after I quit the, the, the corporate raiders that I worked for, mm-hmm. I opened my own catering business and I made money and I was successful. I loved it. Do you know what I mean? It was great. Then I transitioned into food styling and writing celebrity cookbooks, Lisa, because that's who my clients were. Mm-hmm. So it was like all of a sudden the people at the party started saying, oh, I'm supposed to, my agent can get me a million and a half dollars to write a cookbook. Send, right. you know, one, And so they're still friends, some of them, the book sold really well. You know, they became lifestyle hostesses and and I loved it. But we got to write the recipes and it was fun and test all the food and it was, you know, it was fun. Mm-hmm. you know actresses that write cookbooks a lot of the time it's like a really well-trained minor bird you get to feed them the lines it was wonderful yeah. loved it. but I started to say but honey the knowing your journey you can't and by telling other people you help other women that's all I'm trying to say yeah. the most heartbreaking thing in this whole pandemic to me When I read Gabrielle Hamilton's thing in the New York Times, she Mm. said, I've been in my restaurant for 20 years. Though I liked her memoir. I didn't love her memoir, but that's, you know, Mm. she doesn't care what I think anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I didn't love it. Some great writing in some parts, and then the other parts, I just, I didn't finish it. So I finished your book, and I just thought, this is a woman's journey of knowing who she is. You of course you're helping other women, Lisa. I mean, without a doubt, it's so wonderful, and um, you know, branching out to do other things is. We should hope we should hope everyone gets that opportunity.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, and I'm finding you know the older I get, the, you know my my favorite people in this world are the ones who have sort of a natural agility to, to and and you know, women are, are very agile. Uh, a species. Yeah. Of, <laughs> we're yeah. a very agile species. We know how to how to move with what needs to happen at any given moment, for the most part. And and I, I'm hesitant to speak for all women. I obviously don't no, speak for not. all women. But the, but the, my favorite women that I have met have are 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 both strategic and reactive, which is a really really beautiful commonality I'm finding amongst the women that I now keep close to me. Is this ability to see what is needed at any given moment, provide that, you know, service or job or whatever you want to call it, and also still hold the line of their, of their path, Uh,
0: which is a real skill, you know, a real beautiful skill. I had, where I was going and I'd gone off on that ramble and I beg your pardon, you know, oh, there's a bunny, you (laughs) know. I like it, it's fine. You know, I mean, the ADD has, one of the reasons I loved kitchens was, especially when you were the chef, because you could look at 40 different things at one time. I thought, this is fabulous. No one's holding it against me. Do you know what I mean? That I can't focus. (laughs) What you were talking about. See, so since I owned my own business and before that, I had sold real estate for my father on the brokerage. Okay, you're seeing the pattern here, the pattern, the pattern, but Because I was raised on my own business, then when we started, when I started food styling again, I was able to bypass a lot of the misogyny, misogyny in our society. I mean, I remember once in a meeting, it's Steven Spielberg, he was opening his production company, we were doing this gigantic, rich, dripping in money party. And he said to me, Denise, would you like me if I didn't have money? And I remember I thought, what an odd, he's an odd duck, let's be honest, genius, but kind of. <laughs> and I said, well, Steven, I don't know because I didn't know you when you were poor. Okay, so I have no idea. No. But at that moment, and then afterwards, and then I remarried and my husband, I've, I used to—I say to him sometimes within women things, I always say to him, well, you're a white man, what do you know about the guy a boot on your neck? And he said, oh, what are you talking about? You've never lived like that. I said, oh, you are wrong. Just because I was able to create a path for myself, I know what misogynistic behavior is. I I said, in French kitchens, do you know? I mean, get me a coffee, bitch, and then blow me. Do you know what I mean? I mean, the things...
1: Seriously. It was horrendous. Man, I can't imagine the 80s. I can't oh, even... I can't yeah. even tell you. And, the there was there. No such <laughs> and there were no such things. there were no... Sources, do you know what I mean. And so you I just mean, even, even whenever I look at like television programs that I loved from the eighties, I'm horrified. I'm like, oh my god, how are we talking about this like this? Like, thank you. And that was how we're all conditioned to just sort of accept our our place, you know. And uh, uh, it's, it's, shocking. Shocking. it's shocking. It's but and, and shocking. And that's we have come so far. Yes. But the but the but the but. The, the, the 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 pieces are still there, you know, and people still the foundation of that still exists, you know, and we have to keep chipping away at it, you know. I, ha- I,
0: I it's just I just guess I guess Lisa, it's 2020, and I I thought we'd be further along. That's just for me. Do you know what I mean? As I I thought women would be further along, um, but you're right. We have made changes. Do you know what I mean? And well, it's
1: getting better. I, that kind of speaks to something too that was perplexing to me at 24 whenever you know I moved to Nashville and took that first job teaching at the high school I I think it took me a minute to realize I I don't think I was naive I think I was believing what was told to me which was the world is yours you can do whatever you want to do and I went in there but it wasn't necessarily true it was probably more true than it had ever been historically in the united states but it really still wasn't true and that when i went and took this job and was faced with this headmaster who legitimately looked me in the eye and told me that because i was a single mother he didn't want to give me the job because i would be a bad influence for the girl students
0: sorry
1: and then i had to take the job anyway yes. and then for a whole year he you know Uh, harassed me about my wardrobe which was by the way very fucking stylish and cool (laughs) (laughs) like but I never wore anything like I wore a jean jacket and good slacks and good shoes always good shoes and like they would take me to task about the jean jacket because it wasn't professional enough and so there were these like small, you know, little grievances constantly because he didn't want me there. As a single mother, he actually said to me, it would help me give you this job if you could come up here with a serious marriage proposal. And I like, Are, What fucking year is this? Are you serious right now? And then I realized as I make friends, you know, there's a lot of young teachers, um, you know, we all go, you know, commiserate after work. And, you know, I touch about part of this in the book. And I realized, like, not only did he give, like, there was this one gentleman who was a little older than me, but had the same degree, basically, zero teaching experience, just like me, and um, <clears throat> was given this, the, the I think he was, uh, I can't remember which, which which uh, which department he was in, but he was given the job at probably ten thousand dollars more a year, moving expenses paid, all of these things paid, and I literally was waiting tables until like the week before, because I had to pay for moving, I had to pay for you know like all of these things that were just sort of like, no, it's not the world is not set up for me to walk into it and do what I need to do. I'm still having to deal with assholes like this who who think that I owe him some like uh, answers about my personal life about my decisions about who I am as a person like uh, so anyway it it was I think it was shocking to me that I, I I thought we had come farther so just to speak to like that whole like yes we've come this far but also have we like you know, we're still having to have these conversations that I never thought I would have, and I spent 20 years building a career, not denying it, but sort of trying to put it in its place, <laughs> trying to be like, this is not a like I'm gonna I'm gonna succeed regardless of this shit and move forward. And then you get to a point where you realize, okay, you know what? Hold the fucking phone. This actually is a lie. This is all a lie. And I am now doing the women behind me a great disservice by not just saying out loud, bullshit, I'm calling the bullshit, so that you guys understand that when people tell you, you can show up, and the world is your oyster, these are the ways in which you're still probably going to have to spend immense amounts of emotional energy and labor Sitting in front of a bank executive convincing him that you're just as good and smart and capable and that your your PLs and your 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 um your um what the hell is the word I'm looking for? <laughs> your business plan to to get the business loan that you want is probably even better than the tattooed chef with a big ego who's gonna walk in and, and convince him that like he can do better and he's gonna get the loan. Like when you look at loan small business loans for restaurants and then you um break it down to like how many women get those and then you further break it down to how many black women get those it's atrocious the numbers are atrocious and so part of this too is also like unless white women can start saying this shit out loud and just finally saying like look this is all of the shit i can't even imagine a black woman getting into this room so as fucked up as was it was as it was for me i you know i'm still in the room fighting for my my opportunities and i don't even see black women in that room so there's the there's like a whole there you know the, the 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 none of us are free unless all of us are free conversation comes up all the time and even though i feel like at my core i'm having rote
0: conversations um they're still, they still apparently need to be had. I said, if I've been living in a bubble for 40 years that I did not realize how awful racism was, but I was a child of the 60s. And then I seem to have gone about my life for 30, 40 years and not worried about anybody else but me. I'm not proud of it, but I know now that if, if women don't do something about Black Lives Matter, we're the ones that are gonna have to make these changes. I just feel like it is.
1: I agree. I agree, and you know, and I, I'm, I'm really renewed. You know, I feel like I'm in this funny space of being between generations. Of, of I, I, I recognize wholly the the that feeling of not not as my own feeling, but as like. You know, I have a lot of friends that are in their 50s and 60s and 70s, and they feel very separate from a conversation that they shouldn't feel separate from. And then I'm, I'm sort of bridging this gap. And then these younger women who are in their 30s uh, and early, especially in their 20s, who they are living an experience and and have a language that we just never had growing up or being raised in. And uh, none of that is, you know, uh, apologist or as an excuse, but I feel like I'm in this really privileged uh, position of, of like the white women culture of like these younger women and these older women and these older women trying to really understand the language of it all, but also understanding that they have you know, been just sort of building their lives and, uh, for whatever reasons, not paying attention to the other conversation. And then these younger women who have been wholly aware of it. And i fall somewhere in in the middle of all of this and so i feel like it's been a real opportunity for me to sit in that space between these younger women whom who i am learning from every single day
0: Absolutely. i am
1: i am galvanizing my own my own like weaknesses from like i i take time every day now just to recognize like what i don't know and how i politically don't need to be speaking about anything because i don't Have the tools, the language, or the intellect for it in this moment because it has become something uh, so much more momentous than it has ever been before. And the ways that I think that we were talking about the restaurant industry has a real opportunity here. I think it is the same way with our conversations about how we're handling race and and, in our country. And so I feel a great privilege to sort of be sort of in this middle space um, of, of, of white women in our, in our country where I, I am learning so much from these younger women who have a language and an education in some things that I'm even lacking. So I know that it's lacking in women who are ahead of me in age. And so I have by the, you know, by the very good uh, advice, of a very dear uh, woman whom I respect in Nashville. I've just sort of decided in this moment that, you know, I'm going to take a seat and listen wholly to these younger women who are coming up with a much more informed idea of race relations in our country than I even have. So I think it's really important to be active, but to also be actively listening to sort of what we don't know. There's so much we just don't know. And that is uh something I as a person take full responsibility of. But I I also like to say like uh the, the histories we were taught were so far from truth. And so I at 42 am just having uh and I consider myself fairly well read. I'm not very well educated, but I consider myself fairly well read. But in this moment for me it feels wholly like the most important thing I can do. Is, uh, is is learn what actually is, you know, some hard truths that I thought I understood, but I don't really understand the layers of that. And then I think that helps you open up a, a bigger conversation that you get to have with yourself. And then the people uh, older than you um, that are also grappling with it, probably in far bigger measures. So I feel like I'm in a, a funny space of being Gen X and having these much younger women up. Uh, Come up under me that I have so much respect and I value their voice so much. And then I have this connection to uh, an older generation of women who I think are hungry for the same thing, but it might feel a little bit harder to to undo um, the the things that they've been.
0: Well, you know, I agree, but I'll tell you what else. When you say that, Lisa, I'm angry. Okay, I'm angry that I was taught, that I took history for 12 or 14 years, and it was all bullshit, Same. okay, that it it had, that I wasn't told the truth, Mm -hmm. and that it was, so, I mean, that's a big conversation, we don't, one of the things, I think the most shocking thing to me, Lisa, and I've been doing the same thing, I've been trying to listen, I've been trying to learn, I've been, Cindy and I always... We have young women that would come to our food styling workshops and we would learn so much from them. Do you know what I mean? They're like babies. And then they would yeah. say something and I'd think, I never thought of that. You know, so yeah. it was wonderful. But and heard of, coming up are remarkable. It's remarkable. Daughter, and I I'm so grateful. And it's supposed yeah. to be that, you know, good. Yeah. yeah. But I will say this when I found out after World War II that Black GIs couldn't get the GI loans that white soldiers got. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was only 1946. So what's it all about? But you can't build wealth, generational wealth, or get a foot in the door if you can't even own your own home. Real estate was such a big thing in my family as this. They were both my parents, dirt poor immigrants who realized that if they could scrape enough money together to buy land, that they would change the dynamics of their life and their Mm -hmm. children's lives. But I'm that's just shocking to me that I've known so little the truth about history in my own country very same and I mean I think the
1: conversation about generational wealth is such an important one and you know I mean I know my frustrations as a white woman in this world and the ways in which I've been treated by potential investors and potential bank loan operators that is still going back to the original conversation I am I'm in the room still and there are people that can't even get in those rooms and and that you know I think I'm so grateful for this moment of uh, true, like, I just feel like there's a real true, finally true conversation happening around um, what the problem is, you know, all of these sort of strange ideas in the 80s that we had of like brotherly love and, you know, everyone sort of pretending uh, that we had reached some, you know, I, I think about, you know, I think about David Bowie on MTV basically calling them out for, I don't know if you've ever seen that interview, but there's a great interview of David Bowie in like 1984 calling out one of the, v, the VJs saying like, explain to me why you don't have any Black artists on your television program. And he had all these reasons why not. I think we're kind of getting down to sort of the nitty gritty of like this systemic problems that have kept... So many people from building for their families, not even, we're just talking about survivability, you yes. know? I mean, we're, we're talking, we're talking about how people have been able to survive in this country, much less beyond fucking MTV, you know? So, so uh, you know, I think it's, I, this moment is intense, this moment is uh, timely, this moment is, um, so hard in so many ways, but it is, I think, an opportunity for us in this country to really
0: straighten some shit out finally. And now on a lighter note, I have to say one thing to you. Cindy and I worked in Nashville several times, many times on big commercials. Uh I love Nashville. I also happen to like bourbon. Yeah, who does? (laughs) I like it. And you know what else?
1: I'm good at it. I'm good at cooking bourbon. so I I had to give up bourbon a a few years ago. I was uh, a pastry chef diagnosed with uh, Hashimoto's and conditions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hashimoto's also.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's gotten pretty bad. I can't have bourbon. I can't have. I can't have so many things. But bourbon was a good friend of mine for a long time. (laughs)
0: Hashimoto's. I went to an into a woman who just does old lady thyroids, and mine has gotten better, Lisa. So hope, oh. You know, it, it, but there is a whole management. I know exactly what you're oh, talking about.
1: Frustrating. I can't wait to get to, uh, a, you know, I, I don't know if it'll ever happen because I've crested to now celiac condition, but like... Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I hope, I hope, I still dream of baguettes in Paris and, you know, profiteroles. I friends. know.
0: <laughs> Honey, do you remember... Uh, it was uh, out all the times that Oprah has shown that she's dieted and then she fails and then she diets. Mm-hmm. But I, re- I worked Cindy and I worked with her trainer for a couple of times. Bob, his name was Bob Green. Do you remember him, Cindy? And he was this, you know, health nut and all this stuff. But after a big conversation where she'd lost some weight, they were in an interview and he said something about, oh, you're doing so well, blah, 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 And she turned to him in this voice that could have Linda Blair needed the exorcist said, sometimes you just need to eat some bread. <laughs> and we were, I was backstage, it was being filmed here in LA, it was his special. She was trying to launch him. And I remember everyone in the audience kind of went, ooh. <laughs> you know, because her voice, it was frightening. But that's the problem with bread and gluten. I know. And Hashimoto I, is a tough one, honey. I, I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure I didn't lose my adrenaline glands from the um, benzedrine and the cocaine. <laughs> the <absolute amount laughs> that I took in the 80. That couldn't have had anything to do with it. I'm sure my... Sorted drug past had nothing to do with my Hashimoto's <laughs> <laughs> but it's way more fun to think it did how about that <laughs> Mine has gotten better, so I just want you to know also and this is one of the things all of it gets a little better as you get older and I mean that in the other things fall apart but women with hormones and menopause and stuff a lot of the horrible shit goes away once you're through menopause it really does I, tell you, 30s, I don't think anybody why don't women ever talk about how Fucked, you're gonna be in your 40s oh yeah and the depression mm-hmm. and th- and you still have i mean this is getting into i really just want to talk about your buttermilk pie right? <laughs> and your bourbon and your bourbon uh p- butterscotch pudding i read that and i thought okay now just a minute yeah i didn't get to nashville yeah um, <laughs> but honey a lot of things you know other things come up but i will tell you this if for the future the 40s I went to a doctor in my 40s, and I said to him, you know, God, I get, I can be, I have a wonderful life, and yet I'm depressed. You know, mm-hmm. I can feel, in, I go to sleep, um, you know, Gidget, and I wake up Joan Crawford or Becky Davis, and True. it's like the black cloud of Calcutta shows yeah, up know. in my head at nighttime, and, and he was a male doctor who looked at me and said, you know, you need a hobby. Oh, thought, fuck huh? you. <laughs> I said, I, 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 I'm a wife. I'm a business owner. I'm, a, you know, a daughter. I'm the
1: problem with our hormones. Like the, the science, I think, will never understand the full like gamut of no! uh, hormones due to us. And then we're faced with these doctors who just treat it like we're being, you know, ugh, it's so frustrating. Like here, here's a birth control pill. It'll make you feel better. And I'm That's like, right. this isn't going to do
0: anything. And I know. It's a very, but honey, I do think, don't you think it gets, Cindy and I have talked about at nauseum about, and Natalie Dupree and I talked about this recently. I think women, the depression gets better as we get older. It lessens. Whereas men who may never have been depressed, they get more depressed as they get older. And it's all hormone. You know what I mean? It's all
1: Right? It's all hormone-based. It's a mystery to me how we have not decoded this when we can I do know. all of the other things. It's so
0: mysterious to me. I know. Honey, I don't think that... Well, and you've already spoken to this, but I used to always say, there's no testicle they can't save, but no breast they won't remove. Do you know what I mean? God, that's so right. It's true. It's absolutely Women get breast cancer. Oh, remove it. Take it off. Okay. Okay. Killer with radiation. And i I always I think to myself, just a minute, men get testicular cancer and they come out in town. T- why is that?
1: Yeah. Well, I had a doctor, it was the one of the first, uh, she's still my doctor this day, but it was one of the first doctors that ever said anything like this to me. And it was right around when I think I was probably 38 and I started feeling like, Why why do I feel this way? This is not normal. I go from hot to cold in like a moment, I can't sleep at night. And um And she was like, look, you're, you're really early perimenopausal. Like you're gonna, you're gonna be going through perimenopause for probably 10 to 15 years. And that sucks for you. But you had kids so young, like you had kids so young and like your body's probably just learning now that like, you're probably at the end of all that. Um, And I said to her, I was like, well, is there anything I can do? I'm not a big medicine taker. I don't. I've never taken birth control pills, which is how I end up having kids. So, young. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I'm not necessarily interested in like my mom took hormone replacements her whole life, and it didn't seem to really. She had it. I mean, my mother was like back in the day where they would just give you a complete hysterectomy if you complained yes. of any. You have a couple of bumpy births and have to get you like have to get a C-section. They'll just take all your shit out. And uh, take it out. Yeah, just take it, take it out. And so she had a complete hysterectomy. Sorry, mom, that's really private. But yeah. also like I watched her like go to have to always take hormone replacements. And she just never quite have the control over herself. I, and, and I don't mean that in a crazy way. I just mean like you could tell there were days where her hormones were not in her control. And and, uh, and so I've always been really reticent to take any kind of any hormone replacement or birth control or anything. Um, but then I kind of got into my late thirties and I was like, um, oh, I'm, I'm going to like gnaw my husband's face off in the middle of the night <laughs> he don't help me, um, with my, my moods <laughs> and my husband's a saint. And so he doesn't deserve to have his face not off. And, uh, she le- basically looked at me and she was like, look, all I can really do is sort of help you with maybe some dietary things, but really birth control is the only thing that we ever try to help regulate hormones. And I said, well, that's dumb. And she said, yeah, that's dumb. Um, She's like, and I guarantee you if, if men ever had to experience the way our hormones control ourselves, they would have figured this out 300 years. ago."
0: That's absolutely the truth. That's yeah. the truth. And we need more women in science and doctors, and we need to be guardians of our own health. We do. And, and we, we have we to keep talking. We have to keep having these conversations. That's exactly right.
1: I can tell you, there were so many things that, and, and I think specifically women of my generation from like 35 to 45 years old, well, maybe a little older than that, 40 to 50 years old now, but like, we weren't taught anything about our bodies. We had to figure it out ourselves. Everything was a mystery and everything was in this shroud of secrecy. And finally, we all started having conversations with each other about like, is this normal? Does this happen to you? And so now, you know, I think it's really important that we start having really uh, basic conversations about like when I was pregnant with my son, granted I was young, I was 21, you know, and I woke up with areolas the size of my head that were pitch black. And I was like, what's happening to my body? Well, it's a very normal thing to happen in your first trimester of pregnancy. Yes. but Women do not talk about these That's things right. ever, you know? Oh, no. And so, you know, I don't know if you've heard um, what Michelle Obama's podcast at all, but she had her, one of her closest friends is also her OB-GYN and has been, I think, historically for decades. And they had this really beautiful conversation just about from from everything from like puberty to menopause and postmenopause even. And uh, it was a really beautiful conversation, much like this, of just like our bodies and all of the uh, things that we don't even know to expect. And it's so refreshing to just open a platform and open a forum to have these conversations. And I, I hope more women, you know, are doing that with each other because it's, It's a life-saving thing
0: for me, to be honest, at this point. Oh, absolutely. This Mm -hmm. was my inkling. I was only, I was in my early 50s, and I think Julia, Julia Child was having her, you know, she's the 80th or, it was the 80th or 90th birthday, but whatever, I don't remember which one it was, because I was, people all over were having parties for her. Mm -hmm. So the, whatever our food and wine group was in Los Angeles, or part of the LaDom group, or one of them, maybe it was ISCP. I said oh I'll host one at my house Mm -hmm. and everyone paid a thousand dollars and all the money went to charity and somebody donated the champagne and someone you know it was a lovely party it was very fun I had known Julia before that she came she loved champagne she loved men she loved good food so she's eating and drinking and the party's kind of winding down there were only 10 women all of us and I said, Julia, just it's coming to a close, and if there were just some words of inspiration or something you want to share with us, you know, in your such valuable w- wisdom. And she said, Hmm, well, <laughs> at this crowd, I think we should talk about chin hairs. <laughs> <laughs> I am not exaggerating. And everyone in the room went, "What did she say?" Huh? Huh? <gasps> and we all. Chin hairs. Oh and at the time, Lisa, it was still too early for me. I thought, oh, my God, the poor old thing's crazy as alone. Do you know what I mean? She's lost her marbles. She's losing her marbles. Now, awesome. fast forward a few years later, mm-hmm. I remember the morning I got in my car. I think I look nice. I'm going out on a sales call. you know, going to some studio. <laughs> I looked in that rear view mirror, and I thought a spider was crawling <laughs> up my chin. I remember thinking, "Oh no, that!" I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was alive, and I removed it yeah. and thought to myself, "The real fear, of course, is how many days has it been there <laughs> and how many people yeah. died." Well, gone? it comes overnight. It like you
1: wake up overnight. Overnight, you'll have a four-inch-long chin hair, and you know it's ridiculous to me. And uh, so, me and my, I have, I have some really close girlfriends, and we've dubbed this the left chin. Or wait, what do we call it? Left hair. Left hair is what we call it. And, and so like, it's become a verb because like, it, it, we've all noticed that this left, for us, it all comes on our left side of our body, okay. the left side of our chin. And it all is kind of in the same place. And we have dubbed this moment left hair. And, and so like, we've all noticed that it happens about a week before our period. You know, whenever you start to get burly and all your hair gets thicker and it always pops out about a week before your period. And so it's sort of become like a, 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 a you know, an adjective of like how we're feeling in the moment. How are you doing? Oh, it's left hair time, which is like, <laughs> like, which means basically I'm in my worst way and I have chin hairs fucking popping up every when, <laughs> everywhere in my face right now. <laughs> It's a magical
0: it's a magical thing for women to be able to bond over this chin hair situation. It is. And Cindy has promised me that when I'm dead, she will come, I don't care, they can, cremation, I don't care about anything, but somebody will, she will shave my chin yes. even before that's I go a, in the oven. That's, so that a, a think, friend. that's a pact all women should make with each other. We all need it, we all need it. Well, my darling, I need to talk to you about your buttermilk pie. Lisa, but you're basically, when you were the head pastry chef, when you ran the department, did you take recipes that had been family recipes and recreate them? For Because food changes and ingredients change. Where did you get inspiration to make some of those delicious desserts that I read about? Um, I used to be, I
1: still am, but there was a, I have my obsessive phases. And one of my obsessive phases was old, Church cookbooks in the early 2000s. I would go around and collect these old church and community and uh, junior league cookbooks, and uh, and really it was the way I started to sort of feel connected. I, you know, I I grew up in Germany. I grew up in Europe most for most of my childhood, and so I have a real connection to um, you know things that aren't aren't necessarily of the South. And I think I think my initial inspiration for pastry developed in like Austria and all of these beautiful places with you know these incredibly European uh, cut sort of inspirations right Um, and so I became really focused on trying to technically be as good as I could have been to 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 present these types of um, desserts in, in Europe I was really enamored with that I still am um, and someone very recently told me like, I, I, the thing I loved most about you is whenever you would make Linzer torts and all of these European inspired things. And it's, it started to sort of wet my, my whistle a little bit, just to sort of remember how I started baking. Um, but I got really interested in these old cookbooks because I was really kind of trying to learn how to sort of hone in on a uh, appreciation for the South that I, I wanted gen- to genuinely have. I have a lot of you know it's complex the south and it's yeah I, I know i know now that like uh i could i could know i see all of the ways in which it's so much richer than i think so many other places in the world and there's a depth of character to its people and myself you know like for myself it's a really um it feels like home now after all these years so this was sort of my way of getting there of get, of getting to that place And I had not actually seen a a buttermilk pie, a buttermilk pie specifically, until I went uh, to work as the pastry chef for Margo. I had been her... Server. I had been a server there with her years prior, but when I went to work with her as a pastry chef after my stint at City House, uh, she had a, a recipe folder for all of her bakers and cooks and stuff. She had very—it uh, wasn't rote. Like she had flexibility, but she did have a. a, a she did have some. Re- and I mean this in the good sense of the word, some redundancies, like she had her favorite. She was, She's a community favorite. And so she's got her book of, of things that she knows works. And you can pull from this notebook anytime. One of them was a buttermilk pie. And it was fine. I didn't, it was, it's a good buttermilk pie there. And the way she makes it is really nice. It didn't get made very often. And I made it a couple of times and I felt like it just needed some work. Um, And I never revisited it again until after I had been at Husk. And I, I found a bunch of old recipes from old church cookbooks that were variations. So basically, technically, what I usually do is I look at a bunch of different recipes and then I try to sort of create my own from all of that. And it takes some tweaking. And it took me about, you know, a good year to finally get that buttermilk pie that became the buttermilk pie where I wanted it. And I I haven't changed it since. There are variations of it. I can add, um, you know, I can add pumpkin puree Mm. to it. I can add, uh, um, I can add so many things to it. So there are ways that I've adjusted it, but the base recipe hasn't changed
0: in a long time, and it doesn't really need to. It's it's pretty spot on. (laughs) It sounds fabulous. I can't thank you enough, Lisa, for your time today. If people want to reach out to us, they know they can at womenbeyond at iCloud.com. And we really, really, we like people that will suck up to us and say things like, that was one of the best podcasts I've ever heard. And we, yeah, we like that. And we will have a drawing for your book, Lisa, so you'll know. And we have a drawing because your publisher was very kind and sent us one. So we will give that away to some lucky Audience mm-hmm. member, and I really, I cannot thank you enough. And I hope you'll come back next year and talk to us again. I would love to. And I know you're working on a screenplay. Well, I'm working on a
1: few things, but i you, you know,
0: sure. yes, yeah. you have to. That's you,
1: have to. you have to have
0: lots of. You have to have yeah. different yeah. things in the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Good. For having me on. This has been oh, really fun. thank you for everything you said today because you shared a lot of stuff which can be really helpful to others.
1: Great. Oh, well, thanks for having me and letting me talk your ear off. It's been mm, a pleasure. You were
0: wonderful. Thank <laughs> you, Miss Cindy. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, everyone. And again, women beyond a certain Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>